Today, there's no bumper video, right? That's because we just wrapped up our Dominion series. But I think that we'll hear some echoes of, of that conversation about Dominion and freedom through this message as well. But over the next two weeks, this one and next week, we have a couple of what we call standalone messages. And sometimes we do that in between series. So this one is called The Thing We Cling To. The Thing We Cling To. Some of you are already like, oh no. <clears throat> uh, the Thing We Cling To. We all cling to something, probably several things. One thing that I cling to are Intamin's crumb-topped donuts. Do you know the ones I'm talking about with the crumb things on top? They're just stuck to the top with some sort of glazy goodness. Well, sometimes um, if I'm actually in the store, because I like to order online, but if I'm actually in the store and I walk by those, sometimes I will put them in the cart because, you know, YOLO, you only live once. Um, so, but these are like, the, if, if, if those donuts show their face in my house, though, they'll be gone very quickly because we have three children. So parents, those of you that are parents, how many of you, and be honest, hide food sometimes, right? You have to, especially if it's a prized possession like Intamin's Crumb Top Donuts, now, I would tell you where I hide them, but I can't because Emery, my daughter, is sitting right there, and then she would know. So that's not going to happen. But they are currently hidden somewhere. I'm not even going to say what room they're in. You, you don't know. Um, but those are like a prized possession, right? I cling to those. I hide them. I protect them. And we're familiar with this idea of prized possessions, right? We have, a lot of us have prized possessions, things that you want to grab in case of fire. Like I remember my brother had a Nolan Ryan, that's a baseball pitcher, his rookie card. And that was a prized possession when we were kids, right? Um, how about from Beauty and the Beast? Beast has the West Wing, right? I told you not to go in the West Wing. That's the zone, that's the space you cannot go into. He's clinging to something there, right? Like, stay out of this space. So we're all clinging to something. Maybe it's good things. Maybe it's kids or a relationship or a career. Maybe it's our mental construct of God. Maybe it's our Bibles. Maybe it's our goals. Maybe we're clinging to our beliefs or trying to cling, latch on to what feels like the correct beliefs. Maybe it's some sin that we're clinging to. So we're going to talk about the thing we cling to. Have you ever heard that expression, never meet your heroes? Have you heard that? Never meet your heroes. That, there's a reason for that expression because the idea is that if you idolize someone, and then you actually meet them, you're going to find out that that is actually just another human being who is likely to disappoint you, right? So there's a lot of stories online of people meeting 
their heroes, people meeting famous people that they think that they love, and then they meet this person, and it goes very badly. So uh, there's a lot of these stories. I may or may not have gotten sidetracked for half an hour reading some of these stories this week. Uh, but there's one, you know Jason Momoa, the guy that plays Aquaman with the long hair and all of that. So uh, this, this woman was writing a story about this online. She said that they ended up at the same uh, uh, party to release a, an independent film or something, like a small thing. And she was like, oh, cool, there's Jason Momoa. I really like him. I'm going to go meet this guy. So she buys a drink and takes it over to him. And she asks for a picture and wants to chat. And without saying a word, he takes the drink, chugs it, says, and I quote, tonight's not about that. Tonight's about me. Hands her the glass and walks away. <laughs> Never meet your heroes. Never meet your heroes. Because those exchanges are disappointing, right? Because we go into those situations with expectations. We go into those situations wanting a certain reaction from the person that matches our idealized version of them. So we're going to look at a story today of someone that approaches Jesus a lot like that. Someone that, that, that has a question that they want to bring to Jesus. But Jesus here is classic Jesus. He subverts and upends this guy's expectations. And this guy actually leaves disappointed from this exchange. Of course, I'm talking about the rich young ruler. So let's read from Matthew 19. And we're starting in verse 16. Here's the story. Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do? Pause right there. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, what in particular? Jesus said, Okay, I'll play that game. That's not in there, but that's my commentary. That's probably what Jesus thought, I think. I'll play that game, buddy. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. 20. The young man said, well, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor, all your wealth will then be in heaven, then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. The thing we cling to. So what do we do with this exchange? Make rules out of Jesus' words? That's what religion would have us do, right? Take those words and write a prescription for salvation or calculate a formula for pleasing God or form a new creed about selling everything and giving it to the poor, right? Or we could learn from the way that Jesus engages this young man. 
remember what we've learned about Jesus before, that he's always saying precisely what the person needs to hear. He's always saying precisely what the person needs to hear. So let's see what's, what he was really getting at here. So let's think about this rich young ruler's heart as evidenced by his words. Back to verse 16, he's asking, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. And then the man asked, what in particular? He's asking, can you narrow it down? That gives us a view into this man's heart. He's coming to Jesus with an agenda of transaction. With an agenda of transaction, which is something we never do, right? We never go to Jesus with an agenda of transaction. Hey, give me the certainty, give me the answer, give me the thing, and then I'll do it, and then we're good. Just tell me the answer. But this guy is focusing on doing the good thing instead of following a good God. In other words, he's prepared to try to source and sustain his goodness through his own moral behavior, through his own striving, instead of from the source of goodness that's standing right in front of him. When he asked, what in particular, this man has a need to know. He needs to know what to do. And this is the first thing that this young man is clinging to. He's clinging to the need for certainty. A need to see to it that he obeys and does the right things to make sure that he's, he's covered, he's safe, he's good. That he has a ticket to heaven, right? We talked about a few weeks ago that this man is operating under the old covenant. Right? Obey so that I'll be blessed, so that I'll be good, so I'll be safe, so that I'll get in the gates of heaven. So Jesus meets him right there, exactly how he's showing up. Have you ever gotten exactly what you asked for? One time, uh, my dad was, well, he was actually often asked to go and sing at area churches, right? Uh, for their revival weeks. And if you don't know what that is, revival is, uh, revival week is a uh, sort of baptist week where you go every night and you have like a guest preacher and guest singer and musician or whatever, and you have church every night for a week, right? So uh, my dad would get asked to go around, um, around the area and sing at these other churches' revival weeks. So one night, I got to go with him. Um, <clears throat> this was a big deal because it was a school night. It was a school night, but I still got to go. So this was rare, right? So on the way home, uh, it was a bit of a drive, so I asked if we could go and get snacks from the gas station. And to my delight, my dad agreed. And he told me to get whatever I wanted. Now, this was a big deal in our house, right? This was a big deal to walk into the store, to go to the store at all in the first place, but to walk into the store and then say, get whatever you want. So this was like a little mini Christmas. 
Uh, so I got soda, and I got candy, and I got chips. And I thought it was the greatest night ever. Until we got back in the car, and I ate all of it. And then guess what? My stomach hurt real bad for the rest of the ride home. And I went from this elation to a stomachache. I think sometimes the very act of receiving that thing that we thought we wanted is what shows us that we really didn't want it in the first place. That the answer you receive doesn't give you what you hoped it would, right? I think that's what's happening here with this rich young ruler. But here's the thing to note. Jesus is allowing that to happen. He's allowing that process to play out. Back to around 19. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? 21, if you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. The man wanted to know what more. He was looking for another command, for, for more laws for more religion to lean into, more scriptures, more rules. And what does Jesus do? He gives it to him. He gives it to him. But that's a gift. Because, see, that's what the law is for. To take us to the end of our effort. To show us that we can't do it on our own. Religion and its rules and its laws... That plays a part to show us that we can't do religion. Isn't that ironic? It shows us that we can't earn grace and eternal life with right behavior. That's what the law does. But if this man is asking for what else he can do to be good enough, then why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus give him more law? Why not just explain grace to this guy? Like, no, buddy. Stop striving. There's not one more thing to do it good enough to get there. It's about my grace for you and you following me. Why doesn't Jesus just break it down? Well, I think Jesus is letting religion run its course here. Like my dad letting me eat all the junk food until my stomach hurt. It's like Jesus saying, okay. In your eyes, you've been righteous enough and you've been religious enough. So let me take you beyond what you thought was good enough. Give all your wealth away. And by the way, I'm asking you to give the one thing that you're clinging to the most. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds a little bit cruel to me. Does that remind you of like a and Abraham sacrificing his son type of a story, like, really? You're making me give the one thing that I, that I want the most, that I'm clinging to the most? That sounds like a Bond villain, right? Like a villain that, makes, that takes what the hero loves the most and captures the girl or whatever to leverage that against our hero because they're an evil Bond villain. Is Jesus asking the man to give up what he loves most? I think on a surface level reading of the story, sure. And it does cost something to follow Jesus, right? 
Take up your cross, right? We have to sacrifice something. So why would this man walk away sad? Back to verse 22. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. He wanted to keep his hands clenched and clinging to his wealth while trying to reach out at the same time for eternal life. But with his hands clinging, he couldn't open them to receive it. I think this will be on the screen. But this is important. This is what we're seeing Jesus do with this guy. And it's something that he does with us. Jesus always allows our dominion to play out. He always allows our freedom to play out. Even if it gives us a massive stomach ache, so to speak. Even if we walk away sad like this guy because we didn't get the answer we wanted. Even if we realize that the religious striving doesn't save us and that's really scary. Even if we're shown that clinging to something that we don't want to let go of, something that is keeping us from really following Jesus is worth letting go. But Jesus allowing our dominion, our freedom to play out, allowing us to try to do it on our own to get to the end of religion, to get to the end of the striving, there's a reason for that. I think this is up there too. Jesus mercifully, mercifully takes us to the end of our striving and our clinging in order to invite us into a, speci a spacious place of trust and dependence in Him. But what if there was a lot more to this? What if there was more to this than just this guy clinging to his wealth, right? Because that's kind of easy to keep out there in the story, like some other guy, some ancient story out there. I don't have a problem clinging to wealth. I don't even have any wealth to cling to, right? But I think there's something underneath all of this, something deeper. What if the clinging that we do to the career or the kids or the beliefs or the relationship or the wealth? What if it has to do with identity? And, and here's, here's what I mean. What if this man had drawn his identity from the thing he was clinging to? I wonder if, if you and I ever do that. If we depend on the things we love the most to give us a sense of value and worth, Surely not. Surely we don't do that, do we? Perhaps we cling to these things precisely because we draw identity for them or from them. Perhaps we cling to these things precisely because we draw identity from them. So, Think about all the roles and the titles and even the labels that you have, that have to do with you. No, seriously, think about it right now. Think about the roles that you're in. For me, it would look like husband, daddy, pastor, coach, son, brother, friend, 
lots of roles that I'm playing. Think about yours. Now think about some of the things that you do and those types of roles or labels. For me, it would be like worship leader, singer, writer, teacher. And then think about the labels and the societal constructs that we carry. Like for me, tall, straight, male, 38 years old. So many labels that we wear, that we carry, so many roles, so many titles. But if you think about that list, if you think about your list, I think we have to wonder, who, who am I if I'm not those things, right? Who is the rich young ruler if he's no longer rich? These things that I'm listing here, the things that the roles, the titles you're, you're probably thinking of are probably pretty good. But the problem is if I'm clinging to those things. And that's a problem that Jesus loves me too much to not expose. See, when we cling to something, when we cling to these roles, these titles, these labels, we're not free. We're not in a place of dominion. Even if we're clinging to something that is a good thing, if we're clinging, we're not free. We're at the effect of the thing we're clinging to. So, for example, thinking about my list that I just made, what happens when I put so much effort into parenting, trying to be the very best dad? Because I'm depending on that to define my identity, to pull worth from, and then I fail miserably as a father. Now what? What happens if I over-identify with this role of pastor, with this calling of pastor? What if I grow dependent on this title? And I need that. And I let it define me. And then that changes. Or I get criticized. Now what? What happens if I cling to my beliefs or the things that I, I think are the correct set of beliefs, and I'm clinging to those instead of trusting the person of Jesus. And then my views start to change or be challenged or be expanded. Then what happens? See, because, guys, usually when the thing we cling to dies or ends or fails, then we believe the lie that part of us has died or ended or failed. There's a book called Awareness by Anthony DeMello, and he writes about this idea of depending on the things we cling to to fulfill us, to make us happy, drawing our worth and identity from the things that we're dependently clinging to. Now, he's writing specifically about clinging to another person here, but I want you to hear this as if it's about anything that we cling to. Here it is. To depend on another human being or whatever we're clinging to for my happiness, think about that. Because if you do, the next thing you will be doing, whether you're aware of it or not, is demanding that 
other people contribute to your happiness. Then there will be a next step, fear, fear of loss, fear of alienation, fear of rejection, mutual control. Perfect love casts out fear. Where there is love, there are no demands, no expectations, no dependency. I do not demand that you make me happy. My happiness does not lie in you. If you were to leave me or we were to lose the thing we cling to, I will not feel sorry for myself. I enjoy your company immensely, but I do not cling. See, it isn't necessarily the thing or the object of the clinging that imprisons us in a cage of dependency. It's the clinging that does. It's the dependency that does. So it is the clinging that is the root of our suffering. Pain is inevitable. Is that true? Pain is inevitable. The suffering is optional. If you want to be happy, if you want to end your suffering, then drop your attachments. Open your hands from their clinging grip. Drop those attachments and those dependencies and follow Jesus into a real and dynamic and thriving redemption adventure where the only thing you're depending on is Him. That's the free space that He's trying to expose to this guy, this rich young ruler. That's the free space of dominion that He's always extending to you and me. Look at Matthew 10, 37. This is one of those special Jesus quotes that you're like, Jesus, shh, people are going to, we're not going to understand this. This sounds awful. Stop being harsh, Jesus. Don't do that. This is one of those. Okay, you ready? Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why is Jesus talking like this? Is he jealous? Is he insecure? Or is he saying what he said to the rich young ruler? In effect, hey, when you depend on other people or other things and you cling to them, even if they're family, the best of things like family, you're missing it. And this is the famous take up your cross and follow me part, right? That's a phrase that Christians like to say. And for so long, we've assumed that that means like pick up a burden and haul it around, right? Like I'm just following the Lord, dragging my cross. But what if crosses have a purpose? Because crosses are made for things to die on, aren't they? What if Jesus is inviting us to pick up our crosses and follow so that we can lay down the dependency on the things we cling to so that our lesser loves and our false constructs of ourselves and God can be put to death? And then we're free. We're free to find our identity in the source of goodness and grace, in the person who calls us beloved. Now, being honest with you, church, 
the cost of allowing what we cling to and the value we draw from that to die is painful. That's a painful process. The rich young ruler walked away sad. It hurts to let those things die. But here's the question. What cost would you pay for freedom? For real freedom? For a true connection to the source of grace? For the God of the universe to call you beloved and for you to own that in the deepest reaches of your soul and to live from that place freely? Maybe all it really costs us are the things that we didn't really own anyway. Maybe all it costs us is trading in our lesser loves for the source of love. Maybe all it really costs us is moving from the constricting spaces of religion and dogma and effort into a living and breathing and spacious place of radical, life-changing grace. Let's look at what happened after this guy walks away sad. And Ben, you guys can come back up. Matthew 19, 23. He walks away sad, and it says, As, as he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples, disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all? 26. Jesus looked hard at them and said, No chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Then Peter chimed in, We left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? Don't judge. At least he's honest. 28, Jesus replied, Yes, you have followed me. In the recreation of the world, when the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule, starting with the 12 tribes of Israel. And not only you, here, here you go, not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever, because of me, will get it back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. This is the great reversal, many of the first ending up last and the last first. I hope this guy, I hope the rich young ruler got it eventually. I hope he did. I hope the words of Jesus burrowed into his heart and a gospel seed was planted that day. I hope he was able to put down the need to have the correct beliefs, to have the formula, in order to pick up trust in the person of Jesus. And I hope he was able to put down the thing he was clinging to in order to pick up his cross and follow the one who would call him beloved. May it be so for all of us. Let's pray.